Well, good morning again. We are in 1 John chapter 2. If you'd like to turn to 1 John chapter 2 with me in your Bible, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to use one this morning, you probably have a smartphone, you can use it there. Or we have a stack of Bibles over there on the table, which you are welcome to. 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to look this morning at verses 9 through 11. Verses 9 through 11. If you can remember, if you were here last week, I had told you that initially I was going to attempt to make it from verse 7 to 11 in one sermon, but that didn't happen. So we're kind of picking up on last week. If you weren't here for that, um, all of our sermons are are on our YouTube channel that you can go and catch up on for more context on that. Okay, so this morning, though, we're in 1 John chapter 2. Let's look at verse 9 together. Actually, let's just start reading from verse 7, okay? Let's start reading from verse 7. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I've had to give much attention to a particular concept this week, and I'll tell you that I was even rolling, or rolling it around in my mind even this morning. I've been, I've been considering this even from last week through today. There is a particular concept that is widely believed that I think is very misunderstood and in the way that it's said, in the way that it's believed, could lead us actually into a complete misunderstanding of the gospel. And before you form any opinions of the matter, you know what I'm saying when I say this phrase, God loves the sinner but hates the sin. You've heard this before? I know you have. God loves the sinner but hates the sin. I'm going to quote R.C. Sproul here, and he says this. The kingdom of God is not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. In other words, it is not as though everything is okay all the time and everybody is perfectly accepted Regardless of who you are, where you came from, what you do, what you believe, how you act, how you behave, it's just there's a one-to-one comparison. The, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood is just a way for us to understand the kingdom of God, right? It's an allegory, really. But it's not. It says, if you think about this concept with me, that God loves the sinner but hates the sin, what that means is to a person, I can continue to live just the way I am, and there are no consequences. In other words, God loves me just as I am with all my sin, and if he loves me now with all my sin, then what does it matter if I change anything about me? God loves me regardless. I'm already accepted by God. I'm already loved by God, whether I sin or I don't, whether I change or I don't. It doesn't matter. I'm already loved and accepted by God, so you're just telling me God loves you, And that's the end of the matter, so go on about your life. And to some, this has become the gospel. God loves you, and that's the end of the matter. There are no consequences for sin. There is no call to repentance. There is no opportunity to place your faith in Christ because you don't even need a Savior because God already loves you and accepts you completely and entirely without condition. Because God loves you, he just doesn't like your sin. So he accepts you, but he's not going to accept your sin. So something is amiss here, because not all 
is adding up. I'm going to quote from Spurgeon. I normally don't give too many quotes, but I already have two, and that's the very beginning of the sermon. This is from Spurgeon. This is a sermon he preached in the year 1858. Listen to what he says. It's just a couple sentences. When thou hatest the man's sins, thou art not to hate him, but to love the sinner, even as Christ loved us sinners and came to seek and save them. When thou hatest a man's false doctrine, thou art, thou art, it's hard to talk like that, you are still to love the man and hate his doctrine, but to love his soul. An earnest desire that he may be reclaimed from his error and brought into the way of the truth. And that seems correct to us, doesn't it? That I love you as a person and I have regard for your soul, but I don't like what you're doing. I don't like your sin. I hate your sin, but I love you just like God loves you, but yet hates your sin. But is that universally a true statement? Is it ever said that God actually hates the sinner? The reason I quoted R.C. Sproul earlier is because he has written a book on love that I, I found very interesting, and he, he divides the love of God up into three categories, which I think are incredibly helpful for us to kind of navigate this idea. Because we say that God loves all of his creation. Would you say that's true? I hope you would say that's true. He created it after all. Yes. But in one regard, also, he cannot. Because it's sinful, right? Right? So how do we make sense of the fact that God loves everyone, but yet he doesn't? How do we reconcile those concepts? Thinking about the dip, this is the same, by the way. I, 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 I go back to this because I've taught the many of you this on several occasions, that you divide the will of God into three categories, that it is God's will that someone do something, but also at the same time not God's will that you do something. Right? Do you remember this conversation for those of you who are here for that? So, for example, when Jesus was crucified, he was murdered, correct? Murder is not the will of God, right? But it was the will of God that Jesus be murdered, right? So it was the will of God and it was not the will of God? Right. You got it. You understand. In the same way, God can love and yet hate. So, how does this work? There is an idea of God's benevolence, first of all, that is his disposition of goodwill towards all creation, for it is his. Toward all men, because they are his, in his image, right? God loves all mankind. He has a, a disposition of goodwill toward all creation. It's his creation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Does God love his creation? Certainly. But then there is a second category of God's beneficence, that is his display of goodwill. So God has a disposition of goodwill, but then at some point you actually have to act on it, right? I, I have a disposition of goodwill toward you, but how do you know until I actually act on it, right? So there is God's disposition and then is, there is his act. Matthew 5.45 so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. So God actually still has great beneficence toward both the good and the evil. So there are good and evil in the world. The good are defined as those who are good in Christ alone. You're not good on your own. There are those who are the saints of God, the beloved of God, the children of God in that regard, those who are in Christ. And God has a love for them, correct. But those who are outside of Christ, do you know that God still has love for them? That he has a disposition of goodwill toward them as, as his creator. But then he also gives them gifts. The sun rises and the sun sets. He sends the seasons. He sends food. God has a disposition, but also affections toward them. He displays his love for all creation, whether you're in Christ or not. Would you all agree with me so far? Can you tell I'm leading somewhere though? However, there is a third category that believers experience that the unbelieving world does not, and this is what we mean. 
So to say God loves all, the redeemed and unredeemed, true. But let's not mix the categories to say that the way that he loves the unredeemed is the same that he loves the redeemed, because it's different. In this last category called God's complacency, bad word, bad, bad, bad word, but it's ultimately, it, if you're complacent, that means you have no disregard for it. You're not upset about it, okay? You've become complacent with it. God becomes complacent with those who are redeemed because there's no longer wrath to pay for your sin. So he is appeased, complacent. So in God's love of complacency, that he only has for believers because those who are not believers still have penalty for their sin to pay, Right? Their wrath has not been dished out yet. God still has a disposition of giving them wrath for sin because it's not paid. There is something wrong between you and God. There is a void between you and God. There is enmity, strife, division between you and God. Even though he has a disposition of goodwill toward you. Does that make sense? But when you have faith in Christ, that enmity is resolved and you are brought into fellowship with God and adopted as a child of God in a way that the unbelieving world is not. When we say someone to someone, God loves you, are you accidentally saying that God accepts you as a child of God and he no longer has any wrath for you? Are you accidentally saying that? I would argue, yes, you're accidentally saying that. Because when you say to someone, God loves you and accepts you as you are already, that means you're already a believer. You just don't know it yet. Your sin has already been paid for. You just don't realize it. God has already embraced you and loved you and adopted you as his child. Wrong. Only those in Christ. Only those in Christ by faith are adopted as children of God. The other are not. You all with me? If you believe that all people born everywhere are adopted into the household of God by birth, then you are a universalist meaning that all people everywhere will be saved whether you have faith in Christ or not. And if you are a universalist, you are a heretic. So, you are not walking according to the truth because there is only one way to the Father, and what is that way? Jesus Christ. And how do we have Jesus Christ? By faith in his name. Faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ is the only way. But I asked, is there ever a situation where God doesn't simply say that he hates the sin only but still loves the sinner as his beloved child of God? Or is it ever that God actually hates the sinner himself? You would say, not my God. My God only loves all the time. My God only has love. That's what the songs I sing on Christian radio, they say he only, he's only love. He's only love all the time. God is love. God is love and that's what we celebrate. Psalm 5, 4 through 6. You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. That sounds to me like there hasn't been a categorical distinction between the sin and the sinner, but in fact, the person who sins is the sinner, and therefore you have become one with your sin, and now God has a disposition toward you of hate. But I thought God was only love. God doesn't hate anything. What? What I'm trying to get you to see with me by this conversation as we get into our text, because the word that we find here is hate, and another word that we find is love. Are we making the proper distinctions in our mind about the way God loves and hates? Or do we have something that we've attached to our minds about the way God loves and hates? Because I think, for the most part, I can say this because you all know what I mean. Southern Bible Belt mentality that is ingrained into many from a child is that God is only loving all the time and embraces and accepts everyone, so you also ought to embrace and accept everyone. And if you don't, you're being ugly or mean or hateful. Right? I see lots of head nods. You maybe don't see them, but I see them, okay? Those who are from this area or have kind of understood that, it was new to me. 
I'm from Michigan. You just hate everybody all the time. <laughs> it doesn't matter where you're from, what you do, who you are. It doesn't matter. I hate you. You hate me. And we get along. Psalm 11.5, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who does violence. If this seems to you an odd concept, is this rubbing me the wrong way? It's because you've been told, it's been ingrained in you that God loves, embraces, accepts everyone all the time, everywhere, with no conditions. And that is not biblical. If that were true, we would not need Jesus Christ. If that were true, we would not have the condition of faith in Christ for salvation. It is based on condition. It is a condition that God meets himself by drawing us unto salvation. God does the work of saving. He made a way for us to be saved. The wrath of God still exists for those who are not in Christ. And if there is wrath, why is God given wrath on the one that he loves and accepts and embraces? It has been said commonly that... Uh, and I don't know who said it first, but there's so many people say it now, it's just become, you know, public domain. God doesn't send the sin to hell. He sends the sinner to hell. Correct? So I hope that even in understanding the way that God loves and hates, that we can start to understand the way that we should love and hate. Right? By the way, um, never mind. Yeah, I reconsidered it there for a second, but no, never mind. Look at verse 9 with me. Verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Let's pause right there. What we're going to find in these couple of verses is basically a summary of what John has been telling us so far. He's, he's basically just wording it another way, which again is that John likes to do that. He likes to word it another way, and what we're going to see here is he's going to kind of step back from what he just told us, and he's going to say, well, think about it this way. He's just going to give us another angle on this same truth. So if you're thinking, well, we've already talked about this concept, correct, you're right. But John is saying it again, and so what will we do? We will say it again. I'm just going to skip over it. Every word of God is there for a reason, right? We believe it to be all the word of God. So if he's saying it again, there must be a point here. There must be a nuance here that we need to come to terms with. And the nuance is this relationship between love and hate that I'd like for us to draw out together this morning. So we, we see another test almost of what a genuine profession of faith looks like. Whoever says, I know him, dot, dot, dot. He said that before, right? If we say we have fellowship with him, dot, dot, dot. What, what, what? If we say we have fellowship with him, what? If we say we have no sin, dot, dot, dot. It, we, we, he's, been, he's been giving us these statements of consider this. If you say this, then consider this. If you say this, then consider this. And what he's saying to us now is, if you say you're in the light, consider the condition of your heart toward other believers. Because if the condition of your heart toward other believers is this, then that is proof that you are walking in the light. But if, you, if the condition of your heart toward believers is this, then it proves that you are still in the darkness. And so it is for us the test of genuine faithfulness in Christ. What is the disposition of your heart toward other believers? I qualified the brother as the other believer in a previous sermon, if you're wondering about that. John is not saying, don't love people, don't you know, love your enemy as yourself, right? All that's true, but you have to understand that what John is pointing out for us is more narrow than that. He's taking it down to, yes, all that's true, all that's true, all that's true, but consider this one point with me. Of all the people that you should be loving, believers are at the top of the list because they are God's beloved children. And if you love God, you're going to love his children. So here's a qualifier. Here's a test. You say you have love? How about the children of God? Because they're at the top. And if you're not even loving them, how can you possibly be loving these people down here? You get the point? 
If you say you are in the light, consider the condition of your heart. Because it says, if you say you are in the light while you hate your brother, the fact is, you're still in the darkness. That's the truth of the matter. Our current culture does not like when we create these scenarios and these groups. It's like, will you stop already with the saved unsaved, with the big wrath of God and the, the love of God and all this kind of stuff and putting people in. You have to do this, the qualifications and all this kind of stuff. It seems like a lot of work. It seems like God is angry. God is angry over sin because he hates it. And the reason John had said previously that we have a propitiation for our sins is because God was angry with you and your sin, but yet Jesus Christ stood in the path of God's wrath. He took it all in your place, and now you no longer have wrath. You have the love of God adopted as his very child. You have the love of the Father if you are in Christ. There is no good news without bad news. The bad news is that God has wrath for sin. There was, between the years 150 B.C. and about 70 A.D., a community in the northwest side of uh, the Dead Sea, and it was called the Qumran community. You ever heard of Qumran? Who in the room's ever heard of Qumran? Yeah, okay. It is where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Who's ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Okay, the Qumran community are the ones who wrote those scrolls. Okay, and all evidence points to the fact that they were of a particular sect of Judaism known as the Essenes. And they were kind of an individualistic community. They didn't like other people so much. They were elitist, in a sense. They kind of said, we're going to kind of do things our way. We're going to have our own text. We're going to have our own rules. We're going to have our own this and that. And we're going to be a, like a closed-off community. If you want into this community, by the way, it's real, real hard because we are the best of the best. We are God's loved ones. Let me read some of the words here from what's called the community rule. They had rules for their community, and they said, this is how we're going to operate together. A sect of Judaism, okay? Listen to what it says. Basically, this is, this is who we are. This is what we believe. This is how we're going to operate as a little community here. He commanded by the hand of Moses and all his servants and the prophets that they love all that he has chosen and hate all that he has rejected, that they may abstain from evil, hold fast to what is good, that they may practice truth and righteousness and justice and no longer stubbornly follow a sinful heart, lustful eyes, committing all manner of evil. He shall admit into the covenant of grace all those who have freely devoted themselves to the observance of God's precepts, that they may be joined to the counsel of God and may live perfectly before him in accordance with all that has been revealed concerning their appointed times, and that there may be love for all the sons of light." each according to his lot in God's design, and hate for all the sons of darkness, each according to his guilt and God's vengeance. So this particular community, living at the time of Jesus and the apostles, had gathered themselves together around the Dead Sea. Was that an area that Jesus and the apostles knew anything about? Of course they did. They would have had contact with, these groups, with this group of people. Their idea is that a community can so identify themselves that they can say, we love each other, but we hate everybody else. In fact, they saw themselves engaged in a cosmic battle between the sons of darkness and the sons of light. That basically, we're all on the same team and the world is the enemy. There is an aspect of this that we have completely lost. You thought I was going the other direction with it, didn't you? We are in the kingdom of light, and the world is trapped in the kingdom of darkness. This is true. This is biblical. This is how the world is painted. Jesus came into the world of darkness, and they loved him, and he said, yeah, well, I'm friends with everybody. Or they hated him. 
They hated him. They rejected him. And they rejected and they hated Jesus. And Jesus told his followers what? They're going to hate and reject you too because of me. But we have almost, in a sense, blurred the lines between the believing and unbelieving. And there is no longer a a division between the two of us. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring unity and peace. No, I actually came to bring division. And the division is going to be between those who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and those who do not. And it could be even members of your own household. I've experienced this. But it doesn't mean that we turn in hate toward them, does it? But it does mean that there is a hate for certain aspects, right? Okay, so as long as we're identifying these terms correctly, we can kind of continue on the conversation. Communities are are composed of individuals, right? We are a community here, but we are composed of individuals. And the way the individuals act kind of brings to light the nature of the community itself right? Do you know that when you act outside of these doors, that you are in display, you are putting on display who we are as a community? More than that, you are putting on display the very gospel itself. Is there a distinction between you and the world? In other words, just because the world hates this, you hate it too, And just because the world loves and embraces this, you love and embrace it too, because I don't want to stand out too much. So do you understand what I mean by there has been a merging of these two worlds because we don't want to get a spotlight put on us. We don't want people to say negative things about us. We don't want to stand out in that that regard. In 1 John 3.15, John is going to say this again. He's going to say, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. True. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and yet hates his brother, he's a liar. He does not love his brother. Uh, He who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, As we think about our community here, and as we're coming to terms with this idea of love and hate, I want you to, uh, if you have your Bible in front of you, turn to a passage here with me. I want want to bring some some real-life application. I want to draw some application out of this. I realize that sometimes we have to delve into a world of terms, terminology, concepts, But you know what? It's so that we might comprehend. It's so that we might understand. We are not to be like the world at large who simply believes and has emotions. But we are those who are to engage our minds, to be renewed in our minds, to be renewed in our thinking. We are to understand what God has said to us. We are to put things in their proper categories. This is a problem with the world. They don't put things in their proper categories. And unthinking Christians wrongly put things into categories, or they make up categories that are unbiblical categories. Okay, James 4, 1 through 3. Let's think about our community here. You ever been involved in a church where there were quarrels? We can admit that. You ever been involved in a church where there were quarrels? where there were fights, people disagreeing, people getting at each other. You ever heard of a church where there were quarrels and fights? What's the source of those quarrels and fights? Do you want quarrels and fights here? Wouldn't we like to know what the source of those quarrels and fights are that we may protect ourselves from quarrels and fights among us. What causes the quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. Murder, that's what John just said, right? If you hate your brother, you're you're a murderer. So you're having hate for each other. Why? 
because your passions are at war within you. You covet, you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. You, do, you ask, but you don't receive because you ask it wrongly. To spend on your own passions. To spend on your own passions. What passions? God honoring, glorifying passions? Good, upright passions? What kind of passions? Sinful, evil passions, the passions that are at war within you. Now, here's what's happening. When the focus of your heart shifts from God's desires to your desires, you are going down the path of pride and hate. Do you see how easy this works? In other words, you want something that God has never said that he wanted. You have a desire for this, but God does not have a desire for that. No, that's, that's, that's for me. You know, I want, I, want, I want the drums turned up so that I can feel it in my rib cage when Sonia hits the bass drum. I want to feel it. That's what I want. God wants it too. And if you don't give it to me, I'm going to get real mad about it. And now it's going to cause a fight. And now you disagree with me? Who are you to disagree with me? I want this, you want that. I bring out a ridiculous example. But how far does this go? I wanted the walls red. I want the walls a natural color. I want artwork all over the walls. I want this. I, I want, I, there are things that I want. I want stuff. I want these types of songs. Well, I want these types of songs. I want it to be this I want it to be that volume. I think our building stinks. I think our building smells great. I think these chairs are uncomfortable. I like the chairs. I think God loves and embraces everyone no matter what lifestyle they choose. This is what was happening in the community of Asia Minor that John was writing to. And there were some that believed this and some that believed that and they said, we can't get along. We're going to separate from you and we're going to go believe what we don't want to believe over here. If all of a sudden that happened, would there be a stirring up in you of a particular emotion? What are we feeling? I hope that whenever a situation arises, you're filtering it through what does God desire and what do I desire? And is what I'm desiring truly a godly thing or is it just for me? Is it because I want to spend it on my passions or is it because I want the passion and the glory of God? I want his passions. What is it for? Why am I thinking this way? Why do I want this? Why am I so bent out of shape? Why do I feel the way I feel towards you when you criticize me? Why do you feel the way you do when you criticize me? Right? What's the point? Why do we put people down? Why do we point out negative things? Why are we critical of one another? Over things that are of no consequence. It gets to be very, very difficult. But here's the whole point, is that when the focus shifts, as James is telling us, from God's desires to my own desires, we're headed down a particular path, and the path that we're headed down is the path of pride, and it is a path of hate. And we should be protecting ourselves from this reality. Do you want to be a loving community? then we all need to hate the same things. Do you get it? And what things do we need to hate? The things that God hates. Do you see it with me? I hope that you do. We've come a long path to get here. But in order for us to be a unified community, those who are loved by God, we must love what God loves. And we should not be loving what God hates. We should not be hating what God loves. Our very affections, our desires, should be shaped and changed by who God is, His will, what He has revealed to us. Because it could lead here. We're still in verse 9, aren't we? 
We'll move, we'll move along. We'll move along. There's a lot to say about this. See, it's an infectious disease in the church. And once someone starts, you think it's okay. And they did it. I'm going to do it. I feed it. It, it breeds itself into disunity. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Has someone ever got you to all of a sudden hate something, even though before you were kind of passive about it? But you got me to hate it. You are so passionate about hating that, I kind of want to hate it too. That sounds like a good thing. We should hate that. All of a sudden, I'm hating what you hate. Politicians are great at that. They get you so worked up about what you should hate. You say, yeah, I'm following off of that. I don't know why we're hating it. But I love the passion here. But that shouldn't be us, should it? We should all together be considering what is it that we love and embrace and what is it that we are hating and rejecting? If you are hating the very children of God, it is evident that you are still in the darkness. Above all, God loves his children with the greatest of affection. So if you have love for God, certainly you will not be hating his children. Has it ever been that you have struggled with hatred towards someone you know as a believer, you truly believe, I mean, I know they're a believer, but man, I don't like them. Okay, you can be honest with yourself. If you're not honest with yourself, you're not confessing your sin to God, which means acknowledging what is sin as sin. Right? He already covered that. So confess your sins to God. Admit to God what is sin. And if it is sin in you, then admit it to God. Confess it. And you have forgiveness of it. That's great news. But we have to first acknowledge what is sin. So what is he telling us? Move to verse 10. Whoever loves his brother, on the other hand, abides in the light. Abide just means remains, is in the light. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. Now, if you have a study Bible or something of that nature, or you read a commentary, you look this up, please don't be Google theologians. I've told you that before. Whatever you want to believe, you'll find someone to tell you that that's right. So please, just be careful. But what is being said here? If you are walking in love, you will give no cause for your brother to stumble? Or, if you are walking in love, you will have no cause for stumbling in yourself? You see, it could mean either thing. Did you look at it? And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. In who? Who's the him? Who's stumbling? Who has the potential to stumble here, my brother or me? Could I cause you to stumble? Or am I causing myself to stumble? What is it? It's a good question. There is no absolute consensus. But I firmly believe if you are walking in love, you will have no cause for stumbling in yourself, is what John is saying. Because if you are walking in love, which means you're in the light. And if you're in the light, you can see where you're going. And if I'm in the light, I know that the edge of the stage is right here. But if I'm in the darkness, I don't know. And I'll stumble. And what am I stumbling over? Hate. That's what I'm stumbling over. Hate is the stumbling block. And if I'm in the light, I can see the stumbling block. But if I'm in the darkness, I can't see it, so I'm going to do it. So if you're hating your brother, quite obviously you're not in the light unless you're just real, not real bright. And you just fall off the edge even though you saw it. But who would do that? You just thought of somebody who would do it. Take a note for your note taker of Leviticus 19, 13 through 18. Leviticus 19, 13 through 18, I, I really believe that it's this concept that John has as somewhat of a background for this text. Look at it and you'll see what I mean. But I'd really like to move on to verse 11 here as I'm uncharacteristically being long-winded. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. He doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Has he just said the same thing again? He's said the same thing again, hasn't he? Do you think he really wants us to get the point here? If you are in the light, 
Think about it with me. If we were to walk into this room and it was pitch black, you'd be stumbling all over stuff. There's, there's a million things here to stumble over. There's only a few paths that are right. How do you know the path to walk down? I remember one time when I was young, I, I probably was seven or eight or nine or 10 or 11. And I was running down, we were playing, playing hide-and-go-seek in a, in, a, in a church, and uh, all the lights were off, and the sanctuary, they had pews, wooden pews, solid wooden pews. And we were playing hide-and-go-seek, and I was laying underneath one of the pews, and uh, I heard someone walking, and I, I thought they had found me, so I stood up, I was at the front, and I was going to run all the way to the back, I took off running, I mean running full speed, but I wasn't running on a straight line evidently. I was running at an angle, so I ran right into the pews. And it hit me so hard, I fell back on the ground. It knocked the wind out of me. But it was dark, and no one could see that I was hurt. It's probably what's wrong with me today. (laughs) But do you get the idea that if you're off in the darkness, you have no idea where you're going and you're running, you're running, you think you're doing right, but you don't even know what there is to trip over. If you are in the light, as God is in the light, truly, by a profession of faith in Christ, genuinely, then you will be living in the light and you can see these stumbling blocks and actually as you study the word of God, as you live in community that holds you accountable to the word of God, things begin to be far more clear than they ever were before. Someone helps you to see very clearly that thing that you could stumble over. I didn't realize it before, but now I see it. You see, we can tell the objects and the masses, but yet the more we understand our salvation, the more we understand the character of God, the more we are held accountable to the word and we comprehend it, the clearer all the stumbling blocks become so as to avoid them, right? The big stumbling block, the primary one that John is pulling out, If you are even hating your brother, it proves, it proves that that is such a big stumbling block. It's huge and it's obvious. And if you were in the light, there is no way you would trip over that. But if you do trip over it, it proves you were never in the light to begin with. And that's what John is going to go on to say. They went out from us. Why? Because they were never part of us to begin with. They have always been in the light. They simply said we are in the light, but they weren't really. So there are our classifications. I want to, I I can't but end with um, some commentary on on two verses that I believe is going to help shape our community. So I want to end there. Um, Go to Romans 12 with me uh, briefly. If I had to summarize everything I just said in one sentence for our application... We are not concerned with bringing one another into conformity with our will and our desires, right? We're not concerned with bringing other people into conformity to our will and our desires. That's not our job. And if you try to do that, you're going to get so mad. You're going to get so frustrated. You're going to have fights and quarrels with everybody. You're not going to get along with anybody. But it is, as the children of God, our desire to say, listen to what our Father has said. And we want to pull everybody along with us into conformity to God's will and God's desires. Which means loving what He loves, embracing what He embraces, hating what He hates, rejecting what He has rejected. Both in yourself and in the world. So this goes back to last week, exposing sin. Where? In yourself and in the world. Okay, so are you at Romans 12? Look at verses 9 through 10. What's the first thing it says here? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. So pause right there already. He's just summarized everything. I could have just read Romans 12, 9 and 10 and say call today because Paul's summarizing here for us. But what he's saying is, When you love, let it be genuine love. Not this half-hearted, two-faced, passive-aggressive love. Where I say I love you and, you know, by the way, I I think the term, oh, God love you, 
means I don't uh, love you, but hopefully God does. I mean, I mean, I think that's what that means. I mean, God love you. I mean, because you're hard to love. Uh, I, if you never heard that phrase, you will. You will soon. Um, you'll hear that. Uh, I, I think, but here's the idea, is, is that when you love, we ought to be very careful that we're loving in a genuine way. Have you ever been tempted in your life to love, but you know that it wasn't genuine? You're just, I should love, and I, I mean, I guess this is loving. I, I don't really want to love you right now. I just, and I don't really care to love you right now. I just, everybody else is kind of doing it. But at the same time, actually, isn't that what the community of God is for? Because if everyone is loving this, but you're not, what are you going to be tended toward? What's that going to do for you? It's going to draw you in to love what everyone else is loving, right? The more we are around one another, the more we understand what we as Christians ought to love, the more we're going to be pulling people into the light with us. You join the community, but I, I love this, but you guys don't like that? Oh, why don't we like that? I didn't know we didn't like, oh, we don't like that? Why don't we like that? You know, for me, early on, it was, it was music. You're gonna, I, for those of you who don't know me, you're going to laugh. I mean, I was, in a, I was in a heavy metal band for many years of my life, and I uh, was the drummer, and I, uh, that, that was the world I was engulfed in, and that's the world that I loved, and I got into Christianity. Oh, we don't like this? Why don't we like this? What, why, why are we not liking that? Explain to me why we're not liking this. But my affections had to be pulled. And you know what helped me do that? My community of faith helped me do that. This is how it's supposed to work. Are we working together? Are we loving genuinely? Loving the right things? Are we helping each other discern what, is, what are we supposed to love? Because that pulls us into the next thing. Abhor what is evil. Hate it the most you can hate it right? Hate it, really hate it. Abhor it. Do you hate what is evil? Well, tell me, what is evil? We should be having conversations about difficult things and deciding, is this evil or is it not? Would you agree with that? In some of these things, it's hard to define, isn't it? Is, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Should I get the vaccine or should I not get the vaccine? You know? Is it, is it, what, um, you're laughing maybe, but that's a real struggle right now in many churches, and churches are actually dividing over that issue. Should there be fights and quarrels over this? Politicians say yes, but do we just do what they do? We, as the people of God, are discerning by the Spirit of God to know what we should embrace, what we should accept. It's to help one another. So abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good because the rest of the world around you is going to try to break those ties with what is good. Are we as a church, are you as a Christian, holding fast to what is good? What does hold fast mean? Don't let go of it. Have you ever been tempted to let go of what you know to be good? If you say no, then you're probably lying to yourself right now because there are temptations for the world to say to you, let go of that. I promise it'll be okay. Just let go. Just let go of it. Let go, I promise. Look, at the whole world is letting go of that. It's not bad. It's not bad. No. But God calls this good. But, I mean, I guess I'll let go because I'm the odd one out. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Oh, you already said let love be genuine. Why say this? With brotherly affection. That it just shouldn't be, uh, yeah, you're all right, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate you, so I love you, right? I mean, but let, let, let your love for one another be with brotherly affection. Do you really genuinely have affection for one another? Or could you take them or leave them? That's kind of a hard one, isn't it? Scripture calls us to love one another with uh, brotherly affection. And the final thing here that we'll end on is this. 
At the end of verse 10, it says, outdo one another in showing honor. Your efforts in loving one another should be always, always increasing. Always, always increasing, never decreasing. We should always be considering ways that we can love one another. Do we love one another or do we hate one another? And if we do love one another, how are we loving one another? Are we loving the same things? Are we embracing the same things? Are we hating what God hates together? Are we trying to, together as a community, love one another? Are we trying to outdo one another in brotherly affection? Because this is the community that God wants us to have with one another, that we would more and more and more love and embrace one another. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word because it always proves true. Sometimes the message is difficult for us to grasp in our heart. Sometimes it's easy to us. Sometimes I communicate your word in a way that is clear. Sometimes I don't. But I pray that either way, as your word was read, I pray that you would be faithful to that, bringing conviction on our hearts that what you have said in your word is true. I pray that you would protect us from the temptation to hate, to embrace fully selfish desires that breeds pride and hate among us, fights and quarrels, and that that wouldn't be the case, that that wouldn't be so, but that we would be loving each other genuinely, that we would be abhorring what is evil, that we would be holding fast to what is good, that we would be showing brotherly affection to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we would be outdoing one another and showing honor. Help us to be this community, unified as your children, as you would have us be. We ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.